Hi, Little Bob here to let you know that my Bobopedic mattresses offer the comfort and quality of a national mattress brand for half the price. No matter your budget, there's a Bobopedic memory foam hybrid or hybrid plus mattress for you. But don't take it from me. Check them out at mybobs.com. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Hey, happy Friday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Almost didn't make it because some people don't know how to drive the speed limit. Uh, it's sort of like, yes, that little number on a sign is the speed limit. Anyway, hey there. Happy Friday. Thank God it is Friday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. And uh, we have got a great show in store for you. But let's kick it off on this Friday and check what is ripped from those headlines. Yesterday, President Biden signed into law the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, and that was after the House of Representatives voted to approve it this week. The legislation is one of the federal government's first efforts to address the rise of anti-Asian attacks during the pandemic, technically AAPI, uh, with one in four Asian Americans saying that they have experienced a hate incident. Um, This is what uh, the president said, quote, I believe with every fiber of my being that there are simple core values and beliefs that should bring us together as Americans. One of them is standing together against hate, against racism, the ugly poison that has long haunted and plagued our nation. Too many Asian Americans woke up this past year genuinely fearing for their safety. For centuries, Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, diverse and vibrant communities have helped build this nation only to be stepped over, forgotten, or ignored. Lived here for generations or are still considered by some the other. History will remember this day and this moment when our nation took action to combat hate. That's what Vice President Kamala Harris said. And adding, this bill brings us one step closer to stopping hate, not only for Asian Americans, but for all Americans. I also want to add The people from India and Pakistan are also Asian Americans, so technically Southeast Asian Americans, but they are and should be included in that AAPI community as the vice president is a part of that community. So is my husband and so are my son and daughter. The bill directs the Justice Department to expedite the review of coronavirus-related hate crime and to issue guidance to state and local law enforcement officials on how to create online strategies to report such crimes. Both the Department of Justice and the Health Department must offer guidance on how to raise awareness of the rise in coronavirus-related hate crimes over this past year. Let's rip another. In the United States, there is now an excellent chance that the current COVID-19 retreat is permanent. Victory over COVID has not yet arrived, but it is growing close. After almost a year and a half of sickness, death, grieving, and isolation, the progress is actually cause for genuine joy. More than 60% of American adults have received at least one vaccine shot. I have two, my kids have two, my my one, my husband has two, and my kids will get the other on June 7th. The share is growing by about two percentage points per week. Among unvaccinated people, a substantial number have already had COVID, and therefore they do have some natural immunity. Uh, the uh, Andy Slavitt, one of President Biden's top COVID advisors, said the virus is running out of places to be communicable. And remember, that's herd immunity, right? If they don't, if the virus doesn't have a place to jump to, it, it has to live and it needs us as, the, us as the host to live if it can't attach to one of us in order to live because we are vaccinated or have an immunity against it, 
it will die out. The share of COVID tests coming back positive has fallen below 3%, and that's the first time since widespread testing began. And the number of hospitalized patients has fallen to the lowest point in 11 months, nearly a year. Uh, Dr. Eric Topol of the Scripps Research Translational Institute has noted these stats. For the first time since March 5th of last year, San Francisco General Hospital, a hotbed of COVID, of death, of ICUs overloaded and running out of body bags yesterday had no COVID patients, Dr. Vivek Jain said, a truly momentous day. Now, there are still important caveats. I mean, COVID does remain especially dangerous in communities with low vaccine rates, including much of the Southeast. Are these communities that may suffer through future outbreaks? About 600 Americans continue to die from the disease every day. But the sharp decline in cases over the past month virtually guarantees that deaths will fall over the next month. The pandemic appears to be in an exponential decay phase. Uh, this um, There was an essay by Zoe McLaren in the New York Times and, and explained, uh, saying, quote, every case of COVID that is prevented cuts off transmission chains, which prevents many more cases down the line. That's what she writes. And this isn't merely a theoretical prediction. If you look at Great Britain, one of the few countries to have given a shot to a greater share of the population in the U.S., Deaths are down more than 99% from their peak. Uh, hate socialism. My best friend lives in London. Her whole family was vaccinated uh, before my husband, a surgeon, got his second shot. And globally, the situation not as encouraging. It has improved, though. Confirmed new cases are down 23% from their peak in late April in India. Caseloads have been falling rapidly now for almost two weeks despite that surge. And what is behind the improvement? There are several factors. One, new restrictions on behavior appear to have helped in India and some other countries. The rising number of vaccination also helps. It's exceeded 1.5 billion. And that means that more than 10% of the entire world's population, maybe even closer to 15%, have received at least one shot. Natural immunity from past infections also may be slowing the spread of the virus in many places. And the virus's seasonal cycles could play a role as well. Now, most countries remain more vulnerable than we here in the United States because they have a lower and um, a lower vaccine rate and a uh, longer time frame for that vaccine rate. In Africa, a tiny share of people have received a shot. Numbers modestly higher in much of Latin America, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia, which would be India and Pakistan. The vaccines are how this pandemic ends. That point is coming nearer in the United States and a few other affluent countries, but it remains in here. Here it is, right? The rich, the rich get health care first. That has not changed since Adam and Eve, but it remains distant in much of the world. Accelerating the global manufacturing distribution of vaccines is the only way to assure many more preventable deaths this year. Um, that is according to the Times editorial board, The Economist, National Review, they have laid out arguments to do just that. Uh, the Economist editors wrote, unless vaccine supplies reach poorer countries, the tragic scenes now unfolding in India risk being repeated elsewhere. Millions more will die because we travel. And if you go to India on business and a, a poorer section of India, even if you are affluent and an affluent Indian or an affluent American or European, and you go back to your home country, you're bringing COVID with you. You could just be a carrier or, you know, or you could have it and be non-symptomatic, asymptomatic. We saw that before. Let's rip another. Well, as mask wearing and social distancing guidelines relax for fully vaccinated people, businesses are navigating how to implement new policies in their stores. Many businesses are ending their mask requirements only for fully vaccinated customers. Vaccine opponents include, of course, 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, who just is against anything anybody on the left does or anything anybody with science does, using the occasion to resurrect the, resurrect the false claim that HIPAA privacy uh, law, federal privacy law, protects individuals from being asked about their vaccines, uh, vaccination status. That's, that's not true. Uh, HIPAA uh, prohibits hospitals and doctors from sharing your private health care information, but you are not prevented by HIPAA from sharing your healthcare information. So if you have a vaccine card or proof that you've been vaccinated, you can show that if you so choose to be a consumer of a store that requires it or an airline, a hotel or state, city or country, right? They, there are countries you can travel to, but you must show proof of vaccination. Otherwise, you quarantine. On May 18th, several GOP members refused to wear masks on the House floor. They did it in defiance of House rules on mask wearing, including green, of course. They remind me of toddlers at Target who are kicking their feet and crying because they want their toy. And and, and I mean, the, rea- the reality is the, these are the types of people that overloaded our health care system, our health care workers, and quite frankly, helped to spread the virus and kill more people in our nation. When asked whether she was vaccinated, she told reporters that asking about her vaccine status was a HIPAA violation. Uh, No, it isn't. I don't understand how such uneducated people are elected to Congress. People of Georgia, do better. You had two Senate seats go blue. You voted for President Biden. And please, you need to get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene because she's an embarrassment, not only in your district, not only on your state, but on our nation and certainly on our congressional body. By the way, Greene's not the only one spreading this claim. It's been spread widely in social media in recent days. Um, Quote, the rule is simple. HIPAA protects every American from disclosing any of their health records to anyone. No. Uh, The poster clarified she was referring to vaccine and mask requirements in her caption. If anyone asks for your vac status, tell them they have no right to know. I'll bet you money that she's been vaccinated because you know the people that shout the loudest are also afraid to die, right? I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back with more of what's ripped from the headlines right after this. Don't go away. What? If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Sorry for eating in front of you. I am on a strict diet and I eat at certain times. I've lost, I won't tell you how many pounds, but I'm a third to the way of my goal. I'm very happy about that. So all the people that post that I'm fat, when I lose all the weight, then you can say, why did she get skinny or lose weight? Or, you know, she's sick because you never can be happy. Uh, (laughs) Without any of us look, especially if we disagree with your opinions, right? That's that's kind of how it goes, I think. Anyway, welcome or welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Let's continue hmm, with what's ripped. The federal government should develop national standards for training police officers with a greater emphasis on teaching officers how to de-escalate conflicts rather than just how to use force. That's what a police reform task force says in a new report that came out yesterday. The recommendation was made by the Council on Criminal Justice Task Force on Policing. They're actually a group of law enforcement and civil rights leaders that formed last year And they want to add weight to the suggestions by other training experts that national standards would actually help reduce the inconsistency across our nation. Quote, 
Despite its importance, training varies widely in content, duration, and delivery among the 18,000 law enforcement agencies across the country, and much of it focuses on a militaristic warrior mode rather than trust building and problem solving. That's what the report states. Now, by contrast, de-escalation training actually shows officers how to defuse situations before force becomes necessary and equips them with tools to evaluate and to respond to difficult, volatile, and potentially combative circumstances in real time. I think many of us have actually seen examples of this, whether in real life or people that have captured it uh, on, on video or things that we've watched on, uh, you know, uh, you know, cops, right? Cops 911, bad boys, bad boys, what you're going to do. Uh, the report also recommends not just what you're going to do when they come for you, what are they going to do when they're coming for you? The report also recommends that police departments adopt duty to intervene, and those would be policies requiring police officers to step in when they see a colleague using excessive force. That would have helped uh, before the murder of Mr. George Floyd, as an example. That responsibility to prevent fellow officers from violent misconduct rather than staying silent out of loyalty, also the subject of newer training initiatives, including one offered by George Georgetown Law's Innovative Policing Program. Here are some of the other recommendations in that report. Set up a federal decertification registry so officers who have engaged in misconduct at one police department can't just move to another one. What about within one, right? Derek, Derek Chauvin had, what, 17 or 18 infractions against him. Um, uh, before uh, he murdered George Floyd. Encourage trauma-informed policing, in which officers become more aware of trauma in the community they serve, like mental health problems and community violence, and pay more attention to their own exposure to trauma so they don't become violent themselves. And collect more data on police actions and their results make it more widely available to the public. Now, there was another report by this group that found that offloading some police functions to other responders, like those mobile crisis teams that send mental health professionals who are trained to deal with mental health crises, they have some potential to reduce police shootings. It also found there's not a lot of research to show how effective they are. Mental health calls take up only a small percentage of officers' time, technically. Traffic stops, by contrast, take 18% of officers' time, and that could be potentially handled by unarmed officials. Let's rip another. And if you want to laugh and think it can't be done, just look at the police in the UK, right? Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, a Democrat, the state's chief elections officer, advised Maricopa County yesterday that it should replace all voting machines that were turned over to a private contractor for an audit of the 2020 election, citing grave concerns regarding the security and integrity of the machines that make them unusable for future elections. Now, you think Republicans would go, yeah. Because they have an issue with those machines, right? Hobbs' guidance outlined in a letter to county officials is the latest fallout from a review of the election ordered by Republicans in the Arizona State Senate. They used a subpoena to order the county to turn over voting machines and nearly 2.1 million ballots to re-examine last fall's vote. So much for privacy in our vote. Millions of dollars worth of Maricopa's voting equipment used in the 2020 election, including nine tabulating machines used at a central counting facility and 385 precinct based tabulators, they were removed from a county facility and they were placed in the custody of a Florida-based company, Cyber Ninjas, at the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum for the review in late April. Uh, by the way, we all know that Donald Trump said they were destroyed. They were not. That's a lie. In her letter, Hobbs wrote that after the machines were handed over to the Senate and Cyber Ninjas, quote, 
It is unclear what, if any, procedures were in place or to follow to ensure physical security and proper chain of custody. She noted that no election official or observer was allowed to remain with the machines while Cyber Ninjas and its subcontractors examined them. And no offense, but technically, Cyber Ninjas could plant more inf- uh, wrong information uh, or they could erase information just to prove uh, the people who are paying them to be right. Uh, Anyway, she said the lack of physical security and transparency means we cannot be certain who accessed the voting equipment and what might have been done to them. She advised the county they should acquire new machines to ensure secure and accurate elections in Maricopa County going forward. Now, Megan Gilbertson, a spokeswoman for the county elections department, said in a statement that the department was working with their attorneys on the next steps, the cost and what will be needed to ensure only certified equipment is used in Maricopa County. Certified by who? Uh, We will not use any of the return tabulation equipment unless the county, state, and vendor are confident that there is no malicious hardware or software installed on the devices. A spokesman for Senate President Karen Fan, a Republican, did not respond to a request, nor did their spokesperson, uh, the spokesperson for the audit. Now, Hobbs wrote that she did not make the costly recommendation lightly, but she said she consulted with experts. That includes experts at the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency. That agency agreed it was the right move, what she proposed. An agency spokesperson said, quote, CISA regularly provides security best practices to critical infrastructure partners. If it is determined that the chain of custody of critical systems has been compromised, the safest practice is to decommission and replace those systems. Election officials are best positioned to make that determination for their systems. And she's the head, right? She's previously expressed concern, by the way, about the company's methods, including frequently shifting rules for its count and ballots and computers left unattended on the counting floor. Now, it kills me. Republicans think there's a problem, but they're creating a problem by not having election officials and overseers overseeing the machines and the transport and while they're being transported from point A to point B. In addition, and they shouldn't be, right? They shouldn't be. You should have somebody come into that room and work on them. Yeah, they can't send a plane ticket for cyber ninjas and they can't wear a mask. In addition to examining voting machines from the county, that's the largest Maricopa that includes Phoenix, right, uh, in Arizona. Cyber ninjas also has been attempting to recount by hand all of Maricopa's ballots. They've unemployed unorthodox examinations of the ballots. They use microscopes and UV lights. Now, Maricopa's Republican majority elected leadership this week expressed grave concerns about the Senate's audit. They called it spectacle that is harming all of us. So this isn't just Democrats saying it. Republicans are saying it about Republicans, about the Senate audit, uh, a process that was encouraging their citizens to distrust election and weaken their Democratic Republican. This could backfire because two things. One, if you really believe that we have a fraudulent system and that your vote isn't safe or private, you're not going to come out and vote. And that's Republicans. And if you believe this is a bunch of malarkey, you are going to come out and vote. That's what we saw happen in 2020. We saw it in Georgia in the Senate races, and we saw it nationwide with the presidency. Fans said this week that the recount, which is paused this week to allow local high schools to use the Coliseum for graduation ceremonies, will continue next week. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headline. We're going to have a great guest joining us in just a minute. Who is it? Stick around and you will find out. Miss Leslie on TV this week. Catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com.
we're back. I'm ready. Thank you for being with us. And uh, I'm very excited to have this individual on the show. I feel like I've known him for years and I have <laughs> online. We're Twitter friends. And I think today we linked in uh, and connected that way. Uh, Ellie Honig is a CNN senior legal analyst. He's a former federal and state prosecutor, also author of the upcoming book, Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. It's going to be released July 6th. It's available for pre-order. Get yours now at Amazon.com. Now, the new book exposes William Barr as the most corrupt attorney general in modern U.S. history, with stunning new scandals bubbling to the surface even after he departed from office as Trump's lawyer when he was supposed to be the nation's lawyer. Um, and uh, Ellie's handle on Twitter and Instagram at Ellie Honig, at E-L-I-E-H-O-N-I-G. Ellie, thank you for joining us. It's good to have you with us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you, Leslie. Like you said, it's a funny world we live in where you can feel like you're friends with someone you've never met in person or, you know, maybe virtually, but it's a good thing, I guess, right? It's not, yeah. not the way things used to be. Um, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned the book because I just concluded a week long taping of the audio book, which it, I, don't, I don't know, maybe you've done it. Um, and, and people seem to be really interested in the process. I will tell you, it is exhausting. I stood in a dark acoustic booth and they can't have fans or anything in there because it's so sensitive to sound basically all week. Um, you know, standing. I made the decision to stand because when I was reading sitting, I felt like I was gasping for air. So I stood to open it up, you know, sort of the chest cavity and, um, you know, just constant tea and water. And, and, uh, it was really fun though. I will tell you that reading it, um, reminded me of how fun it was to write it and, um, how much good stuff there is in there. There's a lot of stuff. Obviously the thrust of the book, like you said, is how, how horrible an attorney general Bill Barr is. And sadly we've had more scandals break since it went to printer, but a lot of it's based on my own experience. So I tell a lot of sort of war stories and things that I did well, and sometimes screwed up when I was in AUSA, uh, in the Southern district of New York too. So anyway, we finished the audio book. So now I feel this sense of relief. So happy to be with you. You know, I got to tell you, my husband's a huge audiobook fan because um, he's a surgeon and he drives mm. from hospital uh, to uh, operating room to clinic or whatever. Yeah. And um, he so he listens. I'm a reader by book. I prefer right. page, uh, not Kindle page <laughs> page. But um, he yeah. actually prefers and a lot of people I know prefer when the person who wrote the book tapes it. Because, you know, sometimes I have a friend, I won't mention his name. That's what he does for a living. He's so, a voiceover guy in Atlanta. And he that's how he makes his living voicing, you know, these books. Because yeah. some people that write don't speak. You can write, you can speak. So I, I think it'll do, I think your book will do very well, not just because of subject matter and because you wrote it, but the audio book as well, because you voiced it. I think some people would rather have you do it maybe than Brad Pitt. Or something. I, I hope so. Well, I don't know about Brad Pitt, but I hope so. But, it, you know, it's funny because the only issue, minor, minor issue I ever had with my publisher, HarperCollins, was they wanted a professional voice person. And I said, I talked to some friends who'd written books and they said, no way, you got to yeah. do it. People know you. And a lot of the stories in there are first person. I mean, what are we going to do? Get James right. Earl Jones in to go, when I first tried a case at the Southern <laughs> District. It's like, it, that's not, that's me, you know? I mean, I love, James Earl Jones can do it if he wants. No question. <laughs> um, but, um, so it felt more authentic. And I have a whole new respect. I always said respect, but whole new understanding of what VO professionals do. How you can, people are like, well, what could be so hard? Just read it. Oh no. Oh no. Mm -hmm. And my, my producer who was producing on the other end, once in a while would break in and go, 
I would go, how would you, how would you read that? And he would do it. And I would go, man, you're good at this, <laughs> you know, but so I totally respect the pros, but I think there's a level of intimacy and authenticity that goes. Into oh, no, the no, abso absolutely. Because when, yeah. you know, you read, you know, and then when I saw the tiger, I thought I was going to die, right. you know, <laughs> and, and you could be crying and I'm reading it as, and when I saw the tiger, I thought I was going to die. You know, right. I mean, it, 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 you know how the intent was and the yeah. inflection when exactly. you wrote it. So you could do that when you read it. But no, I agree at uh, being somebody who's done commercials by voice, yeah. Uh, being uh, on TV like you are uh, in a similar capacity yeah. and, and um, also, uh, you know, doing a radio show. Mark, my executive producer, can tell many stories of people that thought when they'd fill in for me, it would be so easy. And <laughs> it, it's a lot harder than it looks, you know. Indeed. Indeed. Um, let, let's get to some of the stuff that's coming uh, going on right now. Now, of course, there are people on the left that would love to see Donald Trump or any member of his family in handcuffs in an orange suit. So we'll get to that point. Just remember that. But New York Attorney yeah. General uh, Letitia James, she's joining the Manhattan District Attorney's Office with now a criminal investigation of the Trump organization. Uh, that's what the office said a couple of days ago on Tuesday this week. Um, so let, let's talk about this. This investigation has been underway since 2019 into the Trump organization. Um, the leap, if you will, or announcement on Tuesday that it becomes criminal. What does that mean to lay people uh, like us? So let me give you sort of, depending on your perspective, this will be good news and bad news. And and what some people take as the good news, others will take as the bad news. It, you cannot just open a criminal case. You should not, let me say, just open a criminal case based on a whim. You have to have something that lawyers call predication, prosecutors call predication. Um, what does that mean? It really just means some kernel, some fact, but some good faith reason to think this could be criminal. And so I think the most logical reading of what happened, the AG's office has been on the civil investigative track for a couple of years now, and now they made this change over expanding into criminal. That tells me most likely they saw something. They, they discovered a piece of evidence or a fact that made them go, hold up, now we might be able to prove something criminal. Okay. So that's important. They look like they're going to join forces with the Manhattan DA, which is always a little bit of a delicate dance between prosecutors' offices. And it's important that they actually do coordinate and don't get into what we used to call turf battles. And prosecutors' office do do this. We can be territorial, and that's my target, not yours, and that kind of thing. But it looks like they're playing nicely together. However, I do want to sound this note. Letitia James um, ran for office as AG in large part by saying, Vote for me and I'll nail the Trumps, right? I'll nail the Trump org. I'll make it my mission. I object to that. I object to that. I don't care what your party is. I do not think anybody should be running for office as prosecutor on the promise of vote for me and I will nail so-and-so. And if you think it's okay, put consider this. The Delaware State Attorney General's office is up for election in 2022. How would you feel if a candidate got up and said, vote for me for Delaware AG and I'll nail the Bidens? I'm gonna make it my mission to go after Hunter Biden and all their businesses and all their everything. I'm not okay with that. I don't care what side of whatever you're on. She campaigned Letitia James largely on that basis. Since then, and there's a tendency to think of Letitia James as the newcomer, she's been in office two and a half years. That's a good run already. We've had a lot of announcements and pronouncements and declarations and media appearances where there's been a lot of accountability promised but what's the bottom line right now? How many indictments has the AG's office in New York gone out and gotten on anyone 
related to Trump world, even how many civil cases. And they'll say, oh, she got the she got the charitable foundation. Not really. That case was started before her. She settled it. Great. Um, but my point is the New York AG's office is not historically, for lack of a better word, a kick-ass prosecutor's office. When I was at the SDNY, that's a kick-ass prosecutor's yes. office. The Manhattan DA is capable of it. But the New York AG, and this is pre-Letitia James, is more in the civil realm, more in the subpoenaing realm and the investigative realm. I'll tell you just one quick war story. When I was at the Southern District, we had a case where we were overlapping with the AG's office and we went over there to meet with them. And they said, this is pre-Letitia James, I guess it was during, I don't remember if it was Schneiderman years or whatever. But there they said, well, we're doing a takedown next week. And I said, oh, okay, um, who are you arresting in this takedown? And they were like, oh, no, no, we're not arresting. We're doing search warrants. And I was like, that ain't a takedown. Sorry, that's not what, a takedown's when you take people down, when you arrest. Like, if you consider that a takedown during a search warrant, like, your bar's pretty low here. So I'm going to need to see some results from Letitia James before, I know there's a lot of memes, you know, Tish James is coming. All right, let, let's see a result before, before people get too carried away with what the damage she's going to do. So it's maybe not as increasingly serious as it, it it sounds or it is because it's criminal, not civil. Um, and because we yeah. see a really wide reach. I mean, I think they took everything but Giuliani's microwave. Yeah. Um, well, but that's different. So Giuliani is the SDNY, right? right. The, um, the Trump stuff is with the state. I think the Manhattan DA is, is a real threat to Donald Trump, to the Trump org. But remember, to charge Donald Trump, it's not enough to just show that the Trump org was engaged in shady business. They have to put knowledge and intent on Donald Trump. So they're going to have to have proof, whether it's from a cooperating witness, a Michael Cohen, maybe Alan Wesselberg, who they're trying to flip. They're not going to probably not going to have emails and texts because Trump is not an emailer and a texter where he says, yeah, guys, let's do it. Let's inflate the value of our assets. Let's, you know, let's whatever. So he's a tough target, but they, there are also signs that they're finding things. The fact that the, I'm willing to give the AG's office the benefit of the doubt and assume that they would only open a criminal case for good reason, meaning they found predication, they found the fact, let's give that an assumption. The Manhattan DA's office um, has been on the criminal track for a long time now. They fought for the, the tax returns. They won that in the Supreme Court. They've got Michael Cohen. We know because Michael Cohen is always telling us that publicly. Um, they're trying to flip Weisselberg, which doesn't appear to have happened yet. If they can, that could be a big make or break witness. Um, they've hired a former SDNY prosecutor who was before my time, um, Mark Pomerantz, who's very well respected, he used to do re uh, racketeering cases. They hired an outside forensic accounting firm. So they've got all hands on deck. Um, it's just a question of are they going to have the evidence? Or are they going to have the willingness to pull the trigger? Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Ellie Honig, CNN senior, uh, senior legal analyst. Uh, follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Ellie Honig, E-L-I-E-H-O-N-I-G. And get his new book. You can pre-order it now at Amazon.com, Hatchet Man. How Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Justice Department. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Thank you. 
Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Leslie Marshall. We are back with Ellie Honig, CNN legal senior legal analyst. This is what happens when I talk too fast. Uh, he is also a former federal and state prosecutor, author of the upcoming book, and you got to get this. You can pre-order it at Amazon. Hatchet Man: How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. It will be available July 6, but you can pre-order it, and the audio is actually voiced by him, not Brad Pitt. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, on Twitter and Instagram, you can follow him there at Ellie Honig. E-L-I-E-H-O-N-I-G. Ellie, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. I, uh, I'm i going to have to have you back after today because I know we're not going to be able to you know, <laughs> get through everything that you know I, I, I want to talk sure. about. Um, I, I saw something uh, that a lot of people were uncomfortable with. And, you know, I work for Fox. You work for uh, CNN. Yep. And what we have found is that the Trump administration or what was released, uh, the Trump administration secretly sought and obtained the phone and email records of CNN Pentagon correspondent Barbara Starr. Now, the disclosure comes less than two weeks after it was revealed that former President Trump's Justice Department obtained phone records of three of the Washington Post reporters in 2017. I want to just say this. I'm going to play I'm not I'm going to play devil's advocate, but we we have seen this before from even yes. Democratic. Right. I mean, during the yep. Obama years. Uh, one of my colleagues, a reporter at Fox, uh, they were looking into him and into his parents. Um, what is going on here? Is, is is that even legal? I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. We have yeah. a, a we have a right to freedom of the press. Yeah. So it, it's disturbing no matter what party or what administration does it. The Trump administration has not invented this. This is something that prior administrations have done. Is it legal? The short answer is probably because it, but but this is an example of where prosecutors, federal prosecutors, hold so much power and why we are so reliant and dependent on the good faith and good judgment and integrity of federal prosecutors. Because if you look at DOJ's rules and regs, there's all sorts of language about the, the sanctity of the First Amendment and how we at DOJ have to be so, so careful when we do something like this, when we subpoena records from a reporter. Because obviously, in doing so, you are casting a pall on the First Amendment. You are dissuading people from talking to journalists because everyone knows a journalist is only as good as his or her sources. And if potential sources are out there and they they know that Barbara Starr's phone records got subpoenaed, well, I might think twice if I'm gonna talk to her or anybody else because I don't want I don't want the Justice Department subpoenaing those records and figuring out that I'm talking. And so that has a real damaging, chilling effect on the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Now DOJ has these memos that sort of try to delineate when they can and can't do this. And essentially it boils down to you can only DOJ, we, I should say, we at DOJ can only seek information relating to communications that a reporter is having if there is an imminent threat of a of a grave national security harm. And that's where the line is drawn by DOJ itself. There's no evidence, zero evidence to indicate that anything to do with Barbara Starr or anyone talking to her had anything to do with a grave national security threat. So if they were trying to head off a bombing, OK, that's what the guidelines anticipate. But if they're just looking for who's leaking to CNN, that is an outrage. I can't say it's a crime to go get a subpoena on that unless they lied to a judge or something. But. It's an outrage. It's an abuse of power. It's an abuse of prosecutorial discretion. It needs to be called out by the media. 
Um, they need to be, whoever does this needs to be held accountable. Congress may have a role here. Congress has the ability to hold hearings and drag in whoever approved this. And another thing to know is that within DOJ, this would have to have been approved by the highest levels of DOJ. And the reporting is that the subpoena on Barbara Starr's records was approved in the year 2020, meaning Bill Barr was the AG all of 2020, except the last week of December when he was gone and it was Jeffrey Rosen. Um, and so look, it's one more thing, not, not to circle back to my book, but the crazy thing about my book is it went to the printers a few weeks ago and there's already been four or five new bar scandals since then. But look, it's especially concerning because Donald Trump, like no prior president, vilified the press, enemy of the people and, and fake news and, and all the rest. And to see DOJ not just sort of accepting that, but, but potentially fulfilling it, fulfilling his vendettas against the press is really dangerous and really disturbing. Yeah, because uh, what they looked at June 1st, 2017 through July 31st, and although uh, they did, uh, there was a, a letter, they said that they were informed her, they obtained her phone and email records. You're talking work home cell phone numbers, yeah. personal work email accounts. One of the things I thought as a former journalist, where's the protection of anonymous sources? That's because, exactly the point. And, yep. You know what I mean? That was the first, yeah. I mean, a after I was like, you know, that's disgusting. Are we living in Orwell's 1984? Big Brother is truly washing. Yeah. And then there's the, you know, what about the protection of sources? And, and what about protection of, you know, uh, of privacy? What in hypothetically, what if in an email somebody disco disclosed uh, somebody who was not out disclosed a sexual orientation, somebody who right. had COVID and didn't want the world to know, uh, maybe her or, or something else, else uh, health wise, you know, maybe somebody she talked to is dying of cancer and isn't ready to release that information to the public. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's just crazy. So now, you brought me, up the, Oh, you a couple quick up, things though. Yeah. So first of all, DOJ, Barbara Starr and CNN did not know about this until months after DOJ right. had the information because DOJ went through a process where you can go to a judge and say, judge, we want this info, but we, we're not gonna tell them, which really makes it a, talk about one hand, maybe both hands tied behind your back. CNN and Barbara Starr did not even have an opportunity to go into court and say, we object to this. That's number one. Number two is the information that they got on Barbara and in a lot of cases, is what we call subscriber records. So you're not gonna see the content of the information. That you need a right. higher bar, that you need a search warrant. That's harder to get. What they got from, Bar from Barbara's information was a list of the phone numbers, when they talked, and for how long. But even that is really important uh, because, you know, Leslie, they, they'll look at those numbers. They'll go, okay, uh, two on two, da, 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 that's, they'll be able to figure out real quick who that is. Okay, this person's talking to Barbara Starr. And you're right, it's especially intrusive because they went into her personal devices or home equipment. Um, and, I, and I share all those concerns with you. No, no, absolutely. I mean, look, we sadly live in a, a world of leaks, but I mean, for some journalists, you know, they have moles in certain places. And yeah, I mean, without that, we, we may not ever find information. Part of our system, truth. yeah. Now, the book that you wrote, incredible book, um, I, I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about attorney generals. So yeah. let's talk about, Merrick Garland versus Bill Barr. You said in your book that Bill Barr is the worst attorney general in modern history, in our, historically in our modern times. Um, how does Merrick Garland compare in just the short period of time? Because like you said, in just the short period of time that yep. your book went to press, there were more infractions <laughs> that came out uh, and, and, and more things that we made, made us go, what? Uh, from the Bill Barr uh, AG's office, to, uh, or Bill Barr's AG DOJ. Uh, so uh, give us give us a little compare contrast. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's still early on Merrick Garland, but I'll give you my thoughts in a moment. But let me just sort of backtrack a little. The way my career at DOJ played out was 
my first four years were under the George Bush administration. John Ashcroft was AG, and then I start, and then Alberto Gonzalez, and then Michael Mukasey. So three Republican AGs, and then my last four years were under the Obama administration. Eric Holder being AG the whole time, and I can tell you from the line perspective of somebody who was working at the SDNY. When those administrations changed over, it didn't make a damn bit of difference. The, the January 21, 2017 felt no different than January 19, 2017. And that's a good thing. And that's something that I love about DOJ. And look, every, every administration is going to have its policy per, uh, perspectives, and it's perfectly legitimate to implement those through DOJ. Okay. We want to focus on opiates. We're going to put more resources in opiates. We want to focus on police accountability, Wh whatever it may be. Fine. Where I draw the line and where Bill Barr crossed the line is in the criminal prosecution function of DOJ. And we saw, and in the duty to be faithfully truthful, no matter what, for better or for worse. And Bill Barr destroyed both of those things. We all remember the Mueller report, right? It's easy to forget the Mueller report, but Bill Barr lied about the Mueller report. And that's now been found by Robert Mueller, but also two federal judges, one Republican appointed, one Democratic appointed. And I go through this in the book. The more I look at it, the more I'm convinced that Bill Barr's sort of deviousness with regard to the Mueller report is even worse than we remember. We all know that he lied in his four page letter, but the way he played it, the way he withheld the Mueller report artificially for almost a month while public opinion sort of calcified around this no collusion, no obstruction, the way he even got caught just the other week lying about the process that went into his two-day finding of no obstruction, right? A judge in D.C. said, no, I, I, you're, you're, you're fibbing to me about how you made that decision. Then he intervened in the Michael Flynn case, the Roger Stone case. He mimicked Donald Trump's, everyone kind of remembers that Bill Barr at the end when it was over said, oh, there's no evidence of election fraud, which was an important moment. Let's not forget that in the months leading up to the election, he was fanning the big lie flame as much as anybody. He went in front of Congress, he went on CNN, he went all over the place and said, there's a massive threat of voter fraud. Election fraud is a very real and very big threat. So he's part, he has some responsibility for January 6th as well. Now, how does he stack up to Merrick Garland? Let me give you one huge distinction right off the bat. Bill Barr is a pretender. The man, he's been attorney general twice. He's a little nifty trivia question. He was AG in the early 90s under George W. Bush. He's one of two people ever to be AG of the United States twice. The other is, a, in case it comes up on Jeopardy, a guy named John Crittenden, who was in the 1800s. But Bill Barr never tried a case in his life. He never had the experiences that I had getting knocked around by judges and defense lawyers and sort of learning what it really means to be a prosecutor. And wildly enough, Bill Barr's top four officials under him, his deputy, his associate, his head of criminal, none of them ever tried a case as a prosecutor either. So in my mind, they were pretenders. Merrick Garland ain't no pretender. Merrick Garland oversaw the Oklahoma City bombing prosecution, the Atlanta Olympic Park prosecution, and his top people, Lisa Monaco, Vanita Gupta, Ken Polite, who's a friend and colleague of mine is about to become a, a, a head of the criminal division. They are all real courtroom accomplished prosecutors. And I think for that reason, Merrick Garland has a big advantage over Bill Barr. Thus far, I think we've seen good signs from Merrick Garland. He has certainly not intervened in any case in a political way. And I will say this, this is a good thing too. This is really probably more attributable to the Biden administration. Typically, whenever an AG comes in, they get rid of all the US attorneys. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, sorry, when a new president comes in. So there's 93 US attorneys across the country. It happens, it's, it's the way of life. The Biden administration has kept two U.S. attorneys in place, two, John Durham, 
so he can finish his crazy investigate the investigators thing after more time than Mueller spent. And the U.S. attorney for the District of Delaware, the district that is investigating Hunter Biden. And I think that was a really smart move by the Biden administration, too, because if you get rid of them, then it feels like Trump getting rid of Comey or Trump trying to get rid of Mueller. Let them do their work. Let them finish their work. Let the chips fall where they may. So I think we've seen good signs from the Garland DOJ. Um, I'm not willing to pronounce them a smashing success yet. I want to see more more on the January 6th prosecutions. We've not they we've not seen sedition charges. We've not seen any serious sort of higher level organizers charge. I need to see more from them on that. And I need to see some willingness to not walk away from the Mueller report. All that stuff is still in play. It's still within statute. They seem to want to just sort of hope everyone forgets about it. We don't have to deal with that mess. So so far, I think the signs are good from the Garland administration, but I'm not willing to give them an A plus just yet. It's too early. Oh, it's early. It's too yeah. early. Ellie, speaking of uh, early, uh, we have to, not early, it's too late for us to continue <laughs> because the show is over. Uh, but Ellie Honig, CNN senior legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor, author of the upcoming book, Get It on Amazon, pre-order it on Amazon. Uh, and by the way, he voices, like I said, the audiobook Hatchet Man, how Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Justice Department. Also, follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Ellie Honig, E-L-I-E-H-O-N-I-G. Thank you, Ellie. Kisses Thanks, Leslie. Kisses to kids. Thank and you too. Uh, two, two teens in the house like me, right? Uh, I'm <laughs> Leslie Marshall. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, Marky Mark Rimaldi, executive producer extraordinaire. Streaming only on Peacock. John Wayne Gacy, killed 32. Straight from the killer's mouth. They want you to believe that I alone committed these murders. The new gripping six-part documentary series, John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. All episodes streaming now, only on Peacock. Hi, Little Bob here to let you know that my Bobopedic mattresses offer the comfort and quality of a national mattress brand for half the price. No matter your budget, there's a Bobopedic memory foam hybrid or hybrid plus mattress for you. But don't take it from me. Check them out at mybobs.com.